guys, so thank you so much for joining Democratizing Music, where we interview content creators, struggling musicians, and basically anyone struggling to make a buck, whether that be performing, or even all the way up to well-established, maybe multi-album producers or bands that have gone on tour. We've done it all, and I just can't wait to introduce you to our interview this week. All right, so we are joined today by Slouch. He is a, uh, well, he's a friend of a few people that I've actually interviewed on this podcast already. Um, he is a uh, music producer, a podcaster, kind of uh, was semi-famous in the podcasting community uh, several years ago when he kind of made a, a big foray into uh, what's called Music Safe uh, Podcast or Podcast Safe Music, where basically he was saying, you know, if you're a podcast and you want to use this music, go for it. You don't have to worry about royalties or rights or anything like that, which was pretty freaking cool. Um, I, I've heard and read that he has been nominated for awards, although I'm not sure exactly which which albums he's worked on that were nominated, so we'll definitely get into that. Um, and, you know, I think the first time that I heard his name uh, was the many times uh, that George Robb had mentioned him. Uh, I know that Siles worked with uh, George on many projects, but uh, the one that I'm the most familiar with is, I believe he helped him shoot a YouTube video of the song, You Don't Know What You Think You Know, uh, which I must have watched a uh, hundred times, I want to say, probably a hundred <laughs> times to, to learn that song. That's how I learned that song. Um, and it was really, really well produced. Um, so, yeah, I mean, thank you for joining me today, Sla. How are you doing? Uh, very good, Daniel. Thank you very much uh, for inviting me, and it's a pleasure to be here. And and to your to this last thing that you mentioned, I, I have to laugh because, uh, like so many colleagues of mine who are producers and engineers and stuff like that, uh, all the time face this. And, and I think this is perhaps... Perhaps the first time I've ever uh, 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 had this happen to me, I had absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with you don't know what oh, you really? think. You, yeah, no, no, no. And this stuff happens all the time. It's like, you know, somebody yeah. might say it once and then it gets repeated and stuff like that. I had nothing to do with that video. I had nothing to do with the song because it hasn't been uh recorded yet on any album uh he had done probably uh you know something by himself you know in garage band or whatever i mean he does a lot of that stuff for mm. his podcast of course but it right. wasn't anything yeah. official um and and so i you know i hate to disappoint you <laughs> <laughs> but I had nothing to do with oh, that. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> it must have been the other George Robb song that I'm also very familiar with. It's, uh, if well, it's not, you so don't many. know what you think you know. It's uh, um, um, When I Was Your Age. Did you do a, a video for oh, When yes. I Was Your Age Oh, yes. Yeah, that, that we recorded. Yes. Yeah, uh, that's the one I'm thinking of. That, yeah, and he did do a video for that, I would imagine. He's done a lot of you know videos. He's, he's very yeah. popular yeah, you know, on YouTube and stuff like that. And um, But, yeah. So I've worked with him for many years. Uh, he's done, geez, what seven albums, eight albums? I, I've lost track, but it's it's been yeah, geez, twenty twenty something years now that that we've been working together. So yeah, seems like a great relationship. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's something he's so to much be fun envious of for sure. <laughs> He, he's so much fun to work with. We have we have a blast. Um, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, we, we would just 
I, I mean, you'd be rolling on the floor laughing because he, first of all, he's hilarious and he just cracks me up. <laughs> yeah. And and we'd have so much fun. Uh, you know, we've gotten to the point where we're uh, we work a little bit more efficiently these days and. You know, he sort of knows what to expect working with me. I know what to expect working with him for the most part. And mm -hmm. and so today these projects go a little bit faster and stuff like that. So we don't have as much time to kind of screw around, you know, but uh, but it's still yeah. always a pleasure to work with him. You know, that's that's definitely one thing I want to talk to you about, because I you're probably I don't know if I can say this with certainty, but um, mm -hmm. you're near the top in terms of level of experience in actual music production slash engineering, like the the tracking slash mixing, slash, you know, the the, mm -hmm. the nuts and bolts. It's my day uh, job, yeah. Other, right. So, yeah. I guess I wanted to know um, how how fast is the learning curve to like? I, I assume at this point, like for instance, for a George Crob song. You might have an an FX chain for his voice that you is a go to that you start with. Is that the case, or do you start from scratch all the time? I I personally start from scratch all the time, mm. um, and that's just simply what works for me. I mean, yeah. some people have typical recording chains, and and I might. Uh, I mean, when I record music uh, when I'm recording let's say a, a vocal or any musical instrument really uh, for the most part I generally tend to just capture audio and if if there's going to be something that's going to be sort of added later uh, in terms of effects instead of in terms of compression uh, equalization yeah. any type any stuff like that I'm usually doing that after the fact. Of course, going in, I try to get a, a good signal, a clean signal, et cetera. If something doesn't sound right, we'll reposition a mic or swap right. out a mic and stuff like that. Um, but I I don't have a, a sort of like a go-to, uh, but, I, but I have common starting points, you know? Uh, like for example, okay. with, with George Robb, uh, there's one particular mic that I've used on him uh, pretty much since since day one, and it's always pretty much been the same mic. We've done one or two things where it might have been a slightly, you know, a different mic or whatever. But generally, it's I know what the starting point is going to be. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. May I ask what mic you use? Uh, well, years ago, uh, I, I started using an Audio Technica 4033 uh, on him, uh, which is a cardioid, you know, it, it's large diaphragm. It's technically, I think, sort of between medium and large diaphragm, but it's considered large diaphragm. Um, okay, and, sure. And, you know, I just, uh, we sort of worked with that for the most part, and pretty much all the time I, I i think it's always been that microphone i think uh for one of his songs he wanted a, a little bit more vintage kind of sound and it was a big band kind of uh uh tune mm -hmm. and uh we went with a ribbon mic instead to give it a kind of a like a, a an older uh more classic Old type of feel yeah yeah, yeah exactly um 
And I don't know that anybody yeah, would sure. ever necessarily perceive it that way exactly. Uh, in the end, mm-hmm. uh, it it worked and no complaints. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it is. You know, there's a lot of fuss that goes on in the music recording industry, especially about mics. Um, and yes. I, I'll be honest with you. I have used and am currently speaking to you on an MXL V63M. I think I paid 60 bucks for the stupid large diaphragm right. condenser. Right, right. And it right. honestly, it's a workhorse. The thing just, just works. Mm-hmm. Ideally, yeah, have another mic so you can you know record multiple, uh, the same source multiple times and, and maybe get a different character out of it or things like that. Right. But it's not right. necessary. You don't need to drop $3,000 on a microphone to get a good recording. Uh, you no, you, you, you cer- I, I certainly agree with the fact that you don't have to. Sometimes mm-hmm. you do for various reasons, but mm-hmm. it's not it's not the it's not because you need to. OK, right. It wasn't um, the roadblock keeping you. from Right. Success, ex- I guess. Exactly. Yes. Yes. It's it's not, you know, I mean, some gear. Uh, in terms of like, let's say microphones specifically, sure. uh, I I adore microphones and I've collected uh, a great number of them over the years. I love their differences, their qualities. I love experimenting from time to time with them, uh, trying different things or just simply, yeah, like I say, just simply experimenting. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, okay, a, a cheap, you know, the, the best mic to use is the one that's closest. You know, it's like, it's like the thing with the camera. <laughs> what camera is best, you know, the, the best camera to use for some, it's, it's the one that you have in your hands when, the, when you need to take that shot, that picture. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same with microphones. Um, a cheap microphone is perfectly capable, uh, most cheap I'm not going to say all of them but many of them are perfectly capable of capturing uh sound perfectly well um you know uh a, a more expensive microphone might sound better in terms of its off axis response that's kind of a mm-hmm. typical thing uh but if you're primarily capturing one thing at a time like a vocal let's say like that most right. people are recording then the off axis coloration uh, isn't terribly important really uh you might get a microphone that's you know uh, that might fail on you at a certain point if it's a, a cheaper microphone but the chances of that happening are you know, slim to none, really. So um, as far right. as considerations, I mean, you know, if, if you can spend uh, 3000 on a mic, like, say, for example, I mentioned Audio-Technica, they have the uh, their series, the, the, the 5000 series. Uh, so I mentioned mm. the 4033. Well, they have the 5040, uh, I believe 5040 is the model number. Uh, it's it's a, a series of four square capsules um, and because of its dimensions, it, it's the equivalent of like a two-inch diaphragm in terms of surface area. The, the, huh. the noise floor on that microphone is extremely, extremely low. It's got 
a great sound, uh, you know, but it's a it's a probably a thirty five hundred dollar microphone. Um, so I mean, you know, uh, it, it's great if you could afford it. Fantastic microphone, but geez, you know, n- nobody's going to hear that difference uh, in, in terms of mm, like yeah. it, the end product, you know, yeah. But this is a great opportunity to just remind everyone who's listening that you could be a patron of the show and that I could afford the $3,500 microphone <laughs> if you go to patreon.com slash democratizing music. Boom. Seamless. All right. Uh, nice. So, Seamless. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I just wanted to, you know, I know I've heard, I always do my best to listen to all previous interviews that I do with my guests and try to research uh, them because odds are like if if you're not listening to the show and you saw i was interviewing slough you probably listen to those other interviews and you don't want me to ask the same question also slap probably gets asked the same question a lot if he does a lot of interviews so i want to avoid having him get bored i mean that's no fun um so let me phrase the next question with a with kind of like a preamble i've heard that you were a pop star of sorts in, in ukraine before you came over here were you producing music before you you uh, you kind of made the hard transition and making that your full time job, or, or what was the the trigger there? Um, well, just just to clarify, I mean, uh, I was born here. I wasn't, uh, you know, I'm not from Ukraine. My parents were from Ukraine. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of the, uh, I mean, there's a huge Ukrainian community in North America. Uh, yeah. in, in the United States and Canada and stuff like that. But um, sort of my parents' generation uh, emigrated uh, around World War II or after World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was born here. Now, uh, given that this was the Cold War, um, culturally speaking, uh, the emigre community really tried to instill Ukrainian culture because they were essentially, you know, right exiles getting taken away from them. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Yeah. And uh, people were being jailed and and you know and lost their lives because of their you know Ukrainian identity or promoting uh, Ukraine's independence stuff like that. So that was a big thing in our community to preserve the culture. Um, and so as a kid, uh, you know, I mean, as 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 children of of sort of like my generation growing up in the uh, you know 60s 70s 80s uh, we would mm-hmm. uh, we would go to like we would attend Ukrainian uh, like a Saturday school uh, where we would be taught uh, Ukrainian grammar uh, literature uh, history geography that kind of thing um, so that was, you know, I look back on it now and I and, and I think it was great that, you know, I, I had that, uh, you know, opportunity and that upbringing. Of course, as a teenager, like any teenager, you rebel. <laughs> <Not a big laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> there, were, there were years where I, I just, you know, uh, I didn't want to speak the Ukrainian language. I didn't, you know, I it was just, you know, I rolled my eyes at it. Um and then when I was in college and sort of became a, a little bit more aware, sort of uh, politically, I guess, you know, it sort of meant more to me, you know, that 
when I started to understand what was going on uh, during this Cold War. And right. so your parents weren't just being like, we want to use your Saturday. They were like they were doing something deeper that you maybe didn't I, understand. Is that what you yeah. By the time I was was in college, it was like that. that then, then it was coming from me wanting to be involved in, in, in right. you know, this uh, sort of this this political struggle really and and you know and 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 to raise awareness of of ukraine's identity uh outside of the soviet union you know um and so anyway uh being a, a member of this uh ukrainian student association uh, uh i was attending uh an event and met someone uh, who was also attending, and we started talking music. Uh, her name was Darka, D-A-R-K-A. Um, and we, mm. you know, started talking about music and stuff. There was an upcoming event, uh, an evening in honor of Ukrainian political prisoners, and there was going to be a uh, like a, a program that evening, and there was going to be some poetry reading. There was going to be some, you know, a bunch of different things. And we thought, hey, let's, maybe we could mm -hmm. do something together musically. And uh, so we we did several songs that night, um, and it really went over very well. We were very excited about the the prospect of maybe recording this, you know, and 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 um, mm -hmm. we that that's what it ended up, you know, uh, moving toward. You know, we uh, decided to demo okay. some songs. We, we we did that with a little four track recorder. That we borrowed from a friend, and then before we knew it, we were you know recording an album, and then before we knew it, we were recording another album, and we had taken on some musicians, uh, made a little group, uh, and then eventually went to Ukraine for the first official Ukrainian pop music uh, festival that was in uh, 1989, and we came away with the favorite international cool. band award from from that festival which was like a, a shock and wow. uh, yeah and, and so awesome. over so over there uh, you know there was some, you know we were recognized in certain circles uh and even here in in, in new york there was a, a woman from ukraine who was um uh she was like a, a home health care sort of aide for one of our neighbors and uh, and she was from Ukraine and she like was walking down the street with this old lady and she like, you know, saw me on the street and, and like you know, eyes popped out of her head. She goes, oh, my God, are you Slavko Haladin? <laughs> like she recognized me. And the only reason yeah. is because she's from Ukraine. Nobody here would recognize me and who would care, you know. But uh, uh -huh. over there, it, you know, we had some, you know, some degree of recognizability and and. Uh, but, you know, it's the kind of thing that wouldn't have amounted to anything as far as career unless we lived over there. And I, I was not interested mm. in living in, in Ukraine, you know. But I've been yeah. back many times yeah. since to record orchestras, and uh, and it's uh, it's wonderful. It's a, Especially Kiev, the capital city, is, is fantastic. Yeah. I love it there. I've heard it's a beautiful country, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess that, that was the bit that I, I hadn't caught was that um, 
I I somehow my brain thought that like you were living in Ukraine for a while when when you when you got ah, that no. award or participated over there. But yeah, mm. cool. That's uh, thank you for clarifying that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Was that your? You said it was your first recording as part of that project. It was a digital four track recorder. You said uh, it was before digital. <laughs> this was oh, okay. like I mean, it tape. wasn't before digital recording per se. Uh, digital yeah. recording had been around for a while, but. I mean, you know, the first time uh, my ex-wife and I recorded uh, a demo, that was like a Tascam, what, two, 244 or something. You know, it was a four-track uh, cassette. Yeah, yeah, it was just a, nice. just a cassette multi-track. Those were the days. Things were simple. <laughs> yeah, well, you got you to really commit to the punch in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. On those yes. old tapes, that's for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how do you think you established or got uh, got like what I guess is best described as industry cred? I get the impression you get a steady stream of work these days. Um, mm -hmm. So, so do you just uh, attribute that to your experience and, and the and the word of mouth, or uh, have you had any major successes that you you've been able to tout? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I when I first got into sort of. Uh, recording uh, you know let's say serious demo recording it, it was it was really for like well as so many uh, people in the, in the industry you know it was to record my own material uh, right. and I became more and more interested in the technology side of it you know the 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 production aspects um, at a certain point, I had an opportunity to go to school for it. So uh, I ended up going to Five Towns College in uh, Dix Hills, Long Island. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's funny, I just said that and motioned with my <laughs> head to, to the right because it's in that direction. I, that's it's just <laughs> one of my, my wife always laughs at me because like when I say something, I say, well, in Manhattan, and I, you know, gesture always. I, I just can't. Uh, help it. So anyway, out in Dix Hills, um, I went to Five Towns College, which at the time when I went to school um, was uh, had a, a really great audio program. But the, but the thing was, it really was a music degree with an audio recording concentration. So anyway, I went okay. through that program. It was a four year program, and. Uh, before I even went to uh, Five Towns, I was already, I had already gotten to the point, as many people do, uh, where I, I was recording friends material, and then before you know it, friends mm -hmm. of friends. Um, and mm -hmm. mind you, I had, uh, my ex-wife and I had already recorded a couple of albums uh, well, two albums, let's say, by the time I was in school. Um, and so in the Ukrainian community, at least, um, you know, I was being approached by uh, people to record albums for them and stuff. Um, so when I finished mm -hmm. school, it, it really, uh, I, I was just working full time uh, recording other people's material. I, I at, at that point, I kind of, I mean, that, for me, that paid the bills. So I just went with it. Um, and with, 
as with so many uh, areas of life, you know, success begets success, you know. And so, yeah, before you knew it, you know, somebody heard something that I had recorded and would contact me and ask me, hey, would you, you know, are, would you take on this project, et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I just continued from there. Um, and, you know, it, it's funny because you never know what's going, like what project will lead to, you know, what what any project will lead to. Let's put it that way. Um, so true. Be, so be, true. Because yeah, yeah, absolutely. You don't you don't know. You have no idea. And um, and that's why each project is. You know, you you have to treat it with you know with respect and you know and assume that you know if if you screw it up you know it's not going to be a good <laughs> thing you want to make sure that even even the smallest project is going to be uh the best that it can possibly be um and you never know like the people that you're recording who they're going to be in five years or whenever you know what i mean um and like you know, one particular project. I just dropped I, a marker because that's some great, fantastic advice right there, man. Oh, uh, I just dropped okay. a marker so I can go back and make that the mm -hmm. opening quote. Because honestly, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you never know where that person you're helping out right now is going to be in five years. And yeah. and treating every project as though your career depends on it. That's yeah. your great yeah. piece of advice. Uh, you, you were you going know, somewhere. So. Yeah, no, I, it's just, I, I, you know... <laughs> two things come to mind but I, I, the first thing is um uh i was uh and i i don't even remember how i uh how i came to record uh this one uh, local sax player uh also played flute um and i just you know she asked me if uh, if if i'd record uh, some stuff for her and it turned out that it, it turned out that she wanted to do an album and i said yeah, sure. Like whatever, whatever you need, you know, and I don't think she had done much recording of her own. She'd recorded in mm -hmm. other ensembles and stuff like that. And um, uh, I did I did this album for her and, uh, you know, she had gotten a friend of hers uh, to do the liner notes. And he said, uh, wow, you know, this sounds great. Like, you know, where did you record it? And she says, oh, I recorded it with this guy, Slough. He's in Astoria in my neighborhood. And uh, he said, oh, I should I should reach out to him because I have some stuff that I wanted to record. And uh, mm -hmm. that, that guy, <laughs> this gentleman, I've now recorded probably 25 albums for him now. Uh, he's a, he's a, prolific uh you know uh producer who does a lot of like yeah broadway and you know uh, kind of cabaret type music but just because of cool. because of working with him i've worked with uh you know in the theater world in the sort of like the broadway uh world with actors with like phenomenal broadway credits and well-known singers and as a result of my working with him 
I'm going to be working on another project with, uh, you know, with, you know, again, a huge name who's bringing in other huge names. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you never know what just a little, you know, phone call might lead to or an email, you know, in terms of, you know, hey, would you be willing to, you know, are you interested in recording this project with me? And I say, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'll <absolutely>. record anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fantastic advice, especially for for people that I think there are a lot of people out there that probably have their own recording equipment, probably have uh, a recording or two of the uh, project of their own under their belt, mm-hmm. probably no friends that are interested in recording uh, and and for whatever reason, like, uh, you know, can't convince their friends to even give it a, a whirl. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think that that those pieces of advice would definitely be helpful to them at least as far as you know not not accepting failure and not you know not allowing yourself to put a subpar thing out um that's mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that makes it so that your friends don't just act as as your friend but like maybe come to you with something more serious as well right i mean everybody's everybody's different has uh, you know their unique uh temperament you know some people are easy to work with some people are more challenging to work with and and this goes both ways you know there are mm-hmm. recording engineers that are not so easy to work with and there are others who are just a great hang and you just enjoy being around them so they're easy to work with same thing with artists of course um yeah. but as far as from a from a technical standpoint from uh, from the standpoint of uh the people an artist chooses to work with like as a as a recordist uh, mm. or you know or as a producer or an audio engineer any anybody on that front uh you know aside from you know trying to be uh, you know pleasant and professional and all that kind of stuff i mean if you treat their project and it is their project not not yours you know their name goes on the product not yours mm-hmm. you may get a liner note if you're lucky you know a credit in the yeah. liner notes whatever but um it is theirs but if you treat that uh with respect and you try and you really do your best to make their product the best that it can be they will appreciate that and that'll keep them coming back um yeah. and and it's a great feeling when you when you get those repeat customers, repeat clients, um, and sometimes uh, just for one reason or another that that artist might just simply want to change, and they might not come back to you for their next album. But that's right. okay. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's all good, you know, because chances are, if if they've had a good experience they will mention it to somebody and or or somebody will ask them about you you know as a as a recording engineer or a studio owner yeah. or whatever and uh best advertisement you know it's word of mouth it really is absolutely mm-hmm. one thing i'll throw out there is someone you know i i've recorded a lot of my own stuff but mm-hmm. I, I did i did go into a recording studio for a handful of songs once just to see if there was going to be like a huge difference or whatever mm-hmm. and and while i didn't like notice the stark difference in the output quality what i did notice is that like as an artist who had been basically handling 
all aspects of the recording from start to finish and the, the writing of the song. Mm-hmm. Like he had a fresh set of ears and, and was like, hey, what about during the second chorus? What if we just had you like do an, another overlaid vocal part where you were just doing something a little different, just repeating the first three words like over and over again? Maybe that would sound cool. Let's give that a try. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it wasn't a five minute exercise for me to give that a try. I didn't have to switch out of put my guitar down and then switch into yeah. recording mode and then add a sure. track and then like make sure it's all routed properly. And then now put my guitar back on and then crap, the idea has gone, you know? Yeah. 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 It's a totally different, a completely different experience recording yourself uh, as opposed to, you know, being in a situation where you're not the recordist, all you're the, you know, you've, you have your musician's cap on. Um mm-hmm. I mean, it just reminds me uh, when when uh, I mean, okay, so I I although I am a studio owner and I am an engineer and a producer, I've certainly put out. I mean, aside from the stuff that I mentioned, you know, that uh, that my ex-wife and I did uh, many years ago, uh-huh. uh, I did put out uh, an album of my own uh, twenty years ago. And all this time, I've sort of had songs that have been accumulating, and I decided I'm going to record a second album of my own material for no other cool. purpose than, you know, uh, my amusement and everybody else's amazement. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> okay. yeah. um, but, um, but, you know, it was always on the back burner, and, I, and I, it was never my priority. Uh, so it got delayed so often. Um, but finally, a couple of years ago, I decided, you know, let's let's I called George Rob and I you know, said, let's let's book a, a session, you know, for you to do drums. Uh, we set a date and I knew that that day uh, I did not want to deal with technology. I wanted to have my producer's cap on and mm-hmm. I didn't want to deal with running Pro Tools or anything like that. So I set up all the mics and I. Uh, you know, had everything set up the way I wanted to, to capture the drums. Uh, but then right. I, I had a friend come in who's a, uh, an accomplished engineer himself um, and a studio owner here in New York City. And I just had him deal with anything that was, you know, uh, anything to do with, you know, watching the levels and, you know, stuff like that. Mm. Um, and it was... You know, I don't get to do that that often. I'm usually the one that has to really deal with the, uh, with the the technical aspect, and and in this case, I, I I didn't want to at all, and so it is a very different experience. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. and like yeah, it's just it's kind of hard to switch between the two modes too. Yes, you know that is a hard transition to make. For sure. Yeah, yeah, because you could so easily uh, lose inspiration, and you know, it's that whole left brain, right brain to for for what that's worth, you know, to to whatever degree that is true. Uh, it, you know, to have to think about some kind of technical aspect, like why why aren't I hearing that? What? Oh, you know, I forgot. I never you know switch the channel on this or change the routing or whatever whatever it is and you just you lose mm-hmm. the mood you know uh, yep. so i find that if if i am working on something where i have to record uh i mean like for example for for, for my album uh, which actually it the, the album the, the recording everything is done uh it, it should be out 
oh, I don't know, th certainly this summer it will be out for sure. Um, uh -huh. uh, but when I was recording, you know, myself uh, for any kind of guitar parts, keyboard parts, anything like that, I just made sure that I was never um, setting stuff up the day that I was going to be recording that material. So if I if I was going to be gotcha. recording guitar, I'd set up, you know, uh, I'd set up an amp, I'd set up a DI, I would get my levels and everything the evening before. And then the next day, mm. all I have to think about is turn on the gear and start recording, you know, and, and then it's nice. I'm not dealing with technology anymore. At that point, I'm I've got my guitar player cap on and that's all I'm dealing with. And uh, yeah. that's I find that that it really helps to try and separate as much as possible. Those two. Do you ever. Yeah, speaking earlier, uh, you were mentioning how when you were working on your own album uh, most recently, you didn't want to have the engineer's cap on uh, where you're having to monitor levels and things like that. Uh, some people may not know, but you, I mean, you're visually impaired. You don't see mm -hmm. the red light blink uh, on your mixing board. Right. No, blink. no, no. I, uh, I, I mean, in terms of, yeah, anything, I am blind. I mean, I have really no usable vision. Uh, I've lost okay. my vision over the course of many years but at this point i i have really no useful vision uh and so for example when i'm uh working with pro tools uh i use i use a screen reader on the mac uh to give me feedback as to you know what controls i'm i'm accessing or where i am for example in the timeline like say for example in 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 pro tools right now on this machine here yeah so i you know 41 minutes six seconds or whatever you know i it basically the screen reader tells me this information so in terms of mm. uh accessibility of of this stuff uh i've been working for years with avid the makers of pro tools to help ensure that their uh that pro tools is accessible for blind users um, same thing with uh, Sibelius, their notation software. Mm -hmm. uh, I was on the beta team for, for that as well, and that is really fully accessible for blind users. Um, and so, yeah, there, there is that challenge too. Um, but it, you know, if anything, because of that challenge, I have to be that much more on top of the game um, especially right. when it comes to to other you know to other clients, because to my clients who come into the studio, uh, you know, some sometimes they laugh at at how you know they hear voiceover the the built in screen reader in the Mac they hear it you know I, I'm navigating very quickly and and it's kind of, it sounds like gibberish to them because the speech is is at a fast um, right. rate you know. Uh, and they right. just go, we, you know, they, they so so often say, how do you understand that? You know, how I don't know. I don't know how you do it. And, uh, you know, they mean it as a as a compliment. Uh, you know, when, when you know, right. they, they come in and say, like, how do you know what buttons to press or whatever? It's just it's a typical kind of a thing. Uh, but with the added, uh, you know, uh, knowledge that. I don't even see the stuff that I'm, <laughs> you know, that I'm accessing and pressing buttons on and stuff like that. Um, but that makes me 
know the gear. That makes me sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry, oh, muted my phone. Um, no so um, that 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 makes me sort of try to know the gear that much better, so that when I'm working, uh, like mm -hmm. there's less room for error, you know. Uh, right. And again, you know, mis mistakes. Of course, everybody makes mistakes, and and. Uh, for me, if anything, uh, I make the same mistakes that a sighted engineer might make. You know, it, it, it really right. doesn't have anything to do with, uh, you know, me being blind or something like that. I might, I, how many times do people forget to plug in the piece of gear? You know, it's, it's silly things like that. Uh. Um, you know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah. you know, is, is the, is the AC plugged in now for me, um, the, you know where that becomes a little bit more of a challenge because of blindness because I don't see that that pop, that indicator light I don't you know I don't see that display light up so I have to verify with mm -hmm. different means um, you know whether something I, I could tell physically if something is plugged in of course but when it comes to um, you know operation uh, you know if a preamp is on I have to assume that okay. It's plugged in. I turned on the power. The the phantom power is you know the that button is pushed in, et cetera, et cetera. I I have to assume right, right. at that point that everything is working. And if if anything isn't, then I have to assume that it's something else. And ninety nine point nine percent of the time, yeah, it's something else. Like I might have forgot to 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 change a patch cable or something like that, which anybody could forget. Uh -huh. You know, yeah. The classic. Yeah. Forgot to record enable the stupid track that you were supposed to be recording. I, I do that one all the time. Yeah, <laughs> you know things things happen, <laughs> um, and 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 you have to sometimes make uh you know uh, you, these kinds of considerations you know uh, can can influence your workflow. Uh, I mean uh you know certainly, well probably any workstation can do you know can you know has this option but for example in pro tools you you can set it so that um when the track is not record enabled you could still monitor um but mm -hmm. for me i specifically make it so that if a track is not armed i don't hear anything because i could be fooled into thinking like if i can hear the thing then yeah okay i press record oh, okay. i'm recording but that might not necessarily be the case. Whereas if I, you know, I use it in such a way that it will only record if the track is armed, or I can only hear it if the track is armed. If gotcha. you I make a mistake, you cannot monitor without right. recording. Exactly. Or, gotcha. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I sometimes do switch modes when I'm getting levels or something like that because oh, yeah. I need to, you know, I obviously I need to hear stuff. I'd like to hear stuff while I'm taking levels. But when it comes to recording, I'm in auto input mode so that if the if the transport is rolling and I hear nothing, I know that I'm not recording. So, you know, it, there are various things like that as a um, as a blind engineer that that I have to sort of, you know, account for. And, and it's it's second nature to me at this point. I, it, I don't think about that stuff even because that's just how I work. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, do, do the screen readers say? clip light or something clip gain limit reached uh if that um, light does go off uh well 
so there are you know you have clip indicators right but right. um and and you have level meters on a track you know so right. for example um you can navigate to a meter and see what your current level is what your peak level is and you can uh you can sort of query whether uh zero db has been reached um gotcha i i'm one of the uh i'm one of a few people uh, uh, that that develop um some uh open source software called flow tools and it's specifically geared toward blind users of pro tools uh, which helps um really uh, make the workflow of Pro Tools a lot more efficient for blind users. Um, like for example, before I, 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 I pressed uh, a, a particular key combination to, to say where I was in the timeline here in this Pro Tools session. So I'm at the like 48 minute mark, whatever. But right. on my Pro Tools up here, I have a screen above this out of, out of your site right now. but. Uh, I have the mix window open. Now, a sighted person, if they were looking at that window, they they would not be able to tell where we are in the timeline. But like these scripts that we created for Pro Tools um, gets its information from the edit window, which could be totally in the background. So right. for me, as a, as a blind engineer, instead of going to the edit window, going to the counter display cluster, interacting with it, and going to the main counter, you know, like it's such a tedious process. So of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, there are a bunch of commands, uh, you know, that that you can utilize uh, to help gotcha. workflow like that. You know, because you know, I mean, look. We all know a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So, yeah. uh, so you can imagine, you know, taking a look at a, uh, you know, a, a session file that has, uh, you know, sixty tracks, and X number of plugins per track, or you know, whatever it is, and mm -hmm. when you look at that, you soak in a ton of information in a matter of three or four seconds. Um, for me, right. I have to sort of query it a little bit, you know, in a more sy systematic fashion. I have to, you know, basically figure out how many tracks are in here. There's a key command that I can use to, um, you know, to right. let me know that information. Which are there any tracks hidden? Are you know, are, et cetera, et cetera. You know, th there's a whole there's a whole slew of commands that I can use. And it'll take me longer to sort of assess the situation because I'm not doing it visually. It's like, you know, one thing at a time as opposed to 10 things right. at once that you're soaking in. Um, but again, it's one of these things that I, I've gotten used to that way of working. And so now uh, because of that, you know, uh, I, I've developed a, a, a sense of sort of memorizing a lot. Uh, you right. know, like if, if we're working on a big project and a producer says, oh, you know, let's go to the, the bridge. And, I, you know, I'll say, oh, yeah, that, that was bar 49. Let me boom, boom. And I'm there. And like, oh, you know, he, he wouldn't have known that. He might not have even thought of that, you know. Uh, right. But it, it's it makes for, again, working more efficiently. The more I can sort of memorize certain things, uh, the better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, your hotkeys. I bet are, are super sure. Sure, keyboard but, shortcuts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, that's that's like I I have to know all of them, <laughs> and there are too many. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean there are some that you use all the time. There are some that you know are more esoteric. So those I sometimes forget. But mm -hmm. um, but anyway, yeah, keyboard shortcuts. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, well. I know I set aside an hour and uh, we are approaching the hour. I want to make sure to put you through the torture of the lightning round. So I hope you're ready. Oh, um, sure. Here Here's a wonderful little sound effect. Hopefully you hear it. Nice. <laughs> All right. So if you are a regular listener, you know what that sound means. It is time for our lightning round. You know, the folks at the music store are all certain that those gold-plated, unbalanced monster cables with the triple ultra shielding are totally worth that 600% markup that you're about to pay for them. Uh, but they also make a lot of money and commission when you spend more on those cables. So the lighting round is designed to ask people that are actually in the business whether or not it's really worth the money to drop those, those hard-earned dollars as a struggling musician. So... I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I'm going to give you the possible options that you can use to respond. Um, generally, this will either be a yes or a no, or I'll, I'll give you a scale from like one to five. Uh, I'm going to ask you not to try to hedge uh, what you say or try to explain as we go. We want to keep this as a lightning round as fast as possible. And then afterwards, once we're all done, we can circle back and, and let you uh, hedge and clarify and do everything that you want to do. Uh, is that cool? Sure. Okay. Cool. So, is it worth it in your in your opinion uh, to buy a fancy unbalanced quarter inch patch cable for like connecting a guitar to an amp? Uh, I'm talking gold play connectors, so like troop super ultra triple shielding, and it's like as thick as a rope. That sort of thing. No. Worth it or a waste of money? Waste of money. Cool. What about the same sort of question, but now we're talking about a balanced quarter-inch cable maybe that connects speakers or uh, connect recording equipment. Does that make a difference? Now is it a waste of money or is it, now is it worth it? Well, <laughs> you you said I couldn't elucidate on that. I'd say it's not worth it. No, not cool. worth it. Welcome Spending to question two of the lightning round where you instantly feel regret about how you uh, have answered the question. That's the pretty <laughs> typical feeling. No, it's just, you know, when, when, you, when you're only given to, you know, it's like you say, yeah, yeah. is it worth it? And there, there are always degrees, of course. Sure. Right? So, sure but but sure. I'll say it's not worth spending a lot of money on. That, that I sure. can say with confidence, yeah. Uh, would you drop a lot of money on a fancy balanced uh, XLR patch cable? Although I guess they're all balanced, aren't they? Uh, worth it or waste the money? Well, I'm going to have to say, uh, can I ask you something? Yeah. <laughs> when you say a lot of money, what's a lot of money? Let's say you're dropping For 60, a 25... bucks, 60 bucks on a 20-foot cable. Would you pay that? Uh no no yeah. that's okay and again i hope we circle back <laughs> we will we will circle back don't worry yeah yeah no Whatever. no it's not worth spending what what would you would consider a lot of money no yes sure i would sure. i would not spend it if it if you consider it a lot of money mm -hmm. okay 
Okay, gotcha. If you call sixty bucks a lot of money, I gotcha. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. Uh, is uh, is it worth the money to buy an external preamp? This one is a little bit different. Worth it, no matter what. Just buy an external preamp. Don't use the preamp in your recording interface that you plug into your computer. Worth it based on your mic or what audio interface you might have, or just don't buy an external preamp. Not worth it. Waste of money. <laughs> Boy, man, you you you're making it tough because it, it really okay. So so. If 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 you have a, a, an interface that has a built-in pre, yeah, and you haven't spent twenty dollars on your interface, uh -huh. then you know you know if if your if your preamp is not noisy, gotcha. Uh, uh, then you know I, I I would I would not you know I I would not. I would not say I would say it's not essential to have an external preamp. Okay. No. I would call it I'm going to put you in the middle of the road there. I feel like because it sounded like you were saying based on your audio, audio interface like if it had bad preamps you might want an external preamp because it Yes, right, right. Okay. So so I th I think it is important to have a good preamp. Sure. Mm -hmm. But these days I mean like, you know, uh you know a Behringer, uh, you know, two, what I don't know what they call them the the two I twos or who, I don't know I don't, or or Personas or you know, like 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 so many of these interfaces that have one or two channels or whatever, right? They're really good. They're mm -hmm. they're good preamps. I mean they're not they're not bad at all. So I you know I I would not say that an external preamp is 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 critical. No. Do you use uh, mostly stock plugins in your uh, recording uh, scenarios, or do you use third, a lot of third-party plugins? Uh, like generally, if you had to be one side of the fence or the other, stick to stock or buy some third-party worth of money. Uh, well, I'll tell you this. You know, if you can't mix a song with like stock plugins then it's like that thing you said before you know if you're if if you're uh, i forgot what it was that you were you it were was saying the like, mic you know, isn't the mic is not the hurdle right it's not the pro right, exactly it's not yeah. exactly yeah it's the same kind of thing i mean the stock plugins in pro to in in any of the workstations these days are really good you know mm -hmm. um if you're looking for more interesting sounds or you you want to process you know your audio in you know some kind of more interesting or unique ways you know sometimes third party plugins are just kind of like a little bit out of the box they they um they have certain controls and certain presets that'll that'll get you there faster but right. you know, you know, still, if if you if you know what you want, you can do them with stock plugins. Now that said, I I do like, and I'm sorry, this is not lightning because I'm slowing it down, aren't I? We'll get um, to which plugins you like. Uh, I'll ask. Okay, that's a good. separate series then, of questions. You got it. You got it. Yeah. Lightning. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I I think uh, be sure on, to use. Do you guys do you guys do the uh, video and or any any streaming uh, during COVID? Have you guys done any streaming? Uh no, I've had unattend. Cool. I've had a lot of unattended sessions, but 
uh, no no streaming stuff. I don't get involved in video. No. Cool. I'm going to skip over any question pertaining to streaming. Okay. Uh, Robert. And moving on. I heard you mention Pro Tools earlier. Is that your preferred DAW just in general? Do you use multiples? Yes. Pro Tools. I, Pro Tools it is. I really only use Pro Tools. Cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I imagine you probably don't have a preferred video conferencing solution. Although I just will ask, uh, yeah. how how bad was Zencaster to join uh, accessibility wise? Oh well, uh, it was it was okay because it's basically uh you know right within the Google browser, and after you know saying okay to the Mac OS for you know like wanting to use my mic, wanting to use the right. camera, all granting all the stuff. permissions, um, yeah, yeah, granting the permissions and stuff, yeah, uh, it's, it's you know it's it's a uh, very easy, yeah, there's not nothing to do, yeah, so it was very 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 easy. I I, I like the the experience is good. All right, let's get to these uh, these plugin or manufacturers of plugin specific questions. So I'm going to ask right. you a series of questions about some plugin common plugins themselves or manufacturers of plugins, and I'm yeah. going to ask you to rate them from strongly disagree, disagree, neutral, agree, or strongly agree. I am actually trying to collect some data here as a okay. as a somewhat scientific exercise, which is why I'm limiting you to multiple choice. Okay. Uh, right. So, in your opinion. Isotope RX8 is that a suite of cost-effective tools to get audio that's you know broadcast ready, whether that be for the radio or streaming services, and maybe repair some problem or snafu that occurred? Okay, so I is it a cost-effective way uh, yep. to 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 get that you know? Uh, <laughs> okay, this is not lightning, is it still? It's. Supposed to be, but I mean, okay, okay, okay. Really. No, the thunder I, I, listen, is still rolling for a long time. Still run. Time. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, I I love Isotope RX. It is phenomenal. I love it. I use it all the time to restore audio. Unforeseen things happen, so I love it. It's it's mm -hmm. great. Love it. Uh, so the cost effective thing agree again or agree. I, I, Oh, okay. Yeah, the cost well, of thing is is supposed it's, to be important it's, because see, we're talking to probably me, people like at home recording. So, right. I mean, and so there's you know there's the RX, there's RX Advanced. You know, it's it's more expensive. I mean, to me, RX Advanced is worth the price. So mm -hmm. you know, do I think it's cost effective? Yes, I strongly agree. Okay, that's my cool. opinion. So yeah, yeah. That's yeah, totally fair. I suppose I should only talk from my perspective. You know. That's a pretty good general rule when filling out a survey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you ever use uh, Isotope's Ozone uh, to do any mastering, or do you do mastering out of your, out of your I house? I don't. I do master uh, reluctantly. It's not my favorite <laughs> thing in the world to do, but it's, it's just these days you just have to be able to. Uh, yeah. I, I do not use Ozone products. I mean, I don't. I don't strong disagree or disagree. Wait, what's the question exactly? Is it a cost-effective suite of tools to get audio? Oh, I can't say. I don't own it. Done neutral, no problem. Okay. Fab yeah. filter. Are you a fan of Fab, Fab filters plugins? I don't use Fab filter. Neutral. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Waves. Do you use waves? I use a few waves products. I used to use them more these days. I have sort of, I, I've, I've 
wandered away from the waves uh, ecosystem. Okay. So like yeah. if you, let's say you didn't own RX or isotope rocks and you didn't own waves, would you buy, it sounds like maybe isotope to solve some of your problems and maybe use stock yeah. tokens to do the reverbs? Yes, 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 absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, so are there any specific go-to plugins that are like in, in, in Slouse toolbox of, oh, I got this problem, boom, gonna solve it with this. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily think of, when you say plugins, you know, I, I don't, I, the first thing I think of is not solving problems. Right. Mm, so okay. I just have to say Creative that solutions or something like that. Yeah. Right. Right. So if, yeah. if, if I'm looking for, a, uh, you know, let's say a particular kind of, you know, a chorus effect or whatever, you know, it's like I'm thinking of them more as processors. Sure. Rather than than problem solvers. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think you know, of them in both ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly there are. I mean, you know, look, uh, there's, you know, pitch correction, you know, that's, that's a utility, you know, there, there are, th those are like tools, you know, uh, but then, you know, there are the, the other category of just, you know, sound shaping, uh, oh, tools, you could say still tools, but, um, so, uh, are the, 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 there are two packages well, aside from the stock plugins and like the avid complete right. bundle, because I, I'm a, I have, you know, uh, Pro Tools uh, Ultimate, whatever. So it comes with, you know, extra plugins and stuff like that. They're sweet. Right. They're complete sweet. Aside from those, um, there are two packages that I uh, sort of uh, own that I subscribe to. One is sure. uh, Sound Toys. Sound Toys? Uh, yeah. Sound Toys has an excellent, uh, you know, so it's this whatever it is up to now. Sound Toys five or something like that and that's a um, suite right of that is yes it, exactly exactly yes and the other one that i uh i just love is uh plugin the plugin alliance plugins plugin alliance? The, uh, yeah, yeah the the their annual subscription which i mean for all of their plugins which is like well over a hundred if i remember correctly um it's you know, I mean, it depends on how what plugins you own already for them, whatever. But it's, it's generally around the two hundred fifty per year or something like that. Two, 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 two fifty. I don't know. I I don't remember. Again, it's a business expense. So yeah, I, you know, th to me, I, I that's just it's just the cost of doing business. You know, so I don't consider that expensive. For some people, I, you know, it, it might be, of course. But to me, to it's have a heck that... of a lot cheaper than Waves Mercury plugin suite used to cost. Uh, okay, <laughs> I think it was like you know, three thousand dollars for a one-time drop, and like they'd update it every year. Oh, oh, and update. Okay, yeah, sure. You know, so I mean, but but the thing is, with with that, with with the Waves thing, you're paying, and you you have the Waves update plan. But if you don't do your update, you still have all your plugins perpetually. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Plugin Alliance, that's a subscription. You do not own those plugins. If you don't pay your subscription, they go you away. don't have those plugins. Right. Yeah. Now, they do, that said, they give you a voucher for every year that you... See, in other words, you, you pay $250, or again, your price may vary a little bit, whatever, but you basically you, you pay your annual subscription, and then they give you a $250 voucher, which you could apply toward the purchase of any plugin. 
of huh. theirs. And you can use that voucher when they have their and, and, and they have several sales per year uh, where, you know, it might be plugins as low as, you know, ten dollars or twenty nine dollars or four. You know, like you could buy up a whole bunch of plugins that you can then just own perpetually outright, you know. Um, yeah. It's a fantastic deal, I think. And and I love their plugins. The, the, you know, the, the stuff is just phenomenal. Uh, a lot of their plugins are, you know, they're 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 exactly the same as like a lot of the UA uh, plugins. You know, yeah, it's like made by the same, yeah, made by the same people and stuff. So I I really do like the Plugin Alliance stuff. Excellent. Um, I am. I uh, am a captain is what they call me, I guess, for Studio One. So I host a, a monthly oh, e-meetup okay. of a Presona Studio One okay, DAW right. users. And uh, mm -hmm. I've, I've been using their DAW for, for years. So one of the things that comes up on, on those calls fairly often is mm -hmm. the topic of the room correcting microphone, right? So like it's like a special microphone that you put in the room and like you run it through a plug-in and it, it now has like a made an eq profile of your room mm, so right. then you apply to your mix and make it uh, subtract your room from the sound if you right. had experience with those i i've heard very strong opinions on on squarely on both sides of that fence and i want to know what you thought um them. yeah i i i have not used that particular uh you know sort of i don't use studio one first of all but i i, I don't i don't you know, have any experience with the, the that specific thing you're talking about? Room correction software. I, yeah, I've I want to be clear. This is not part of Studio One. Which, yeah, this is just oh, any not. room okay. correction software. Right, right. Okay, so room correction uh, software. You know, there are a few different flavors, and there are a few different approaches. Uh -huh. um, you know, there are different hardware solutions and stuff. Uh, I'll tell you what I've been in studios where they've used this, you know, kind of uh, scenario, uh -huh. and <laughs> I've never, I've never felt that it sounded uh, any better. And if anything, it sounded a little bit strange to me when we sort of like a bead, you know. Okay. So I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of of that. Um, and I'm not saying that it doesn't work. Right. Uh, it just, I, I just, I was never impressed by it. Now that said, um, I have a, a, a JBL surround, uh, like a 5.1 surround system here. Um, mm -hmm. and the, the, this particular series, well, uh, uh, this, you know, they've had, you know, several series that have had this. It has their kind of like room, I think it's like room mode correction, RMC, whatever technology. Yep. And, you know, you, you have a measurement microphone, which you put in mix position and it does sweep tones and stuff like that and applies, you know, I don't know, 512 different filters or something like that, you know, like wow. kind of like a graphic EQ, you know. Yeah. Um. And I've done that sweep in this control room um, and I've engaged it. Now, mind you, my room is treated and, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time sort of, you know, uh, I have diffusion on the back wall, you know, and I have mm -hmm. 
you know, bass traps and stuff bass like traps, that, yeah. and and high frequency panels and stuff like that. And when I've engaged the RMC on these speakers, I really don't hear a difference. I I really I if if you turned it on and off. To me, I would never be able to tell the difference. And I've done it several <laughs> times. So either and, the technology doesn't work or your room is perfectly treated. Oh, no, well, I would <laughs> I would never say that it's perfectly treated, but it's treated well enough, well enough that yeah. it does not require, uh, you know, you know, significant correction or, yeah, or any sort of like perceivable, yeah. noticeable correction. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly yeah. Um, cool. So. You know, for some people, I you know I, I could see maybe maybe it works, you know, b better, and maybe it does solve a particular problem. And if it and if you're if you become accustomed to that, I mean, like really, I mean, you, you could work in in almost any scenario in any room as long as you're familiar with the sound of that room and it and your mixes translate. You know, to other systems, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's one other approach that I've heard of, which is like basically the opposite of trying to correct for your room sound and and basically add a bunch of noise uh, to your final output bus to make it as though you were sitting in a car with you know driving on the freeway, right? Which involves a lot of pink noise going on in the background and and basically mm -hmm. it like simulates how your mix would sound in a car or in other sorts of environments. Have you ever tried any of those? No, I, I understand what you're saying and I understand why some people uh, try that uh, mm -hmm. because it, it makes a certain sort of common sense. But at what, what that is addressing, however, is more of a balancing issue rather than is the bass heavy. Do you know what I mean? So, like, yep. in other words, yeah, a, a lot absolutely. of people, yeah, they might have standing waves in a room and bass frequencies are canceling and they have no, and, and, and as a result, since they're not hearing that bass, they tend to crank the bass quite a bit, you know, or right. you could have the opposite. Their room is lying too. to them, so now they have a bass heavy yes. mix or something like that. Right, what right. You're talking about right, it, exactly. Yeah, or or the opposite. You know, they might have an uncalibrated or a poorly calibrated subwoofer, and like the bass is pumping, and they're fooled into thinking that that they're you know that their mix is balanced. And and now when I say balanced right. here, I'm I'm saying in terms of frequency content. High, and high you know, lows, you play yeah, it in a different room right. and somebody yeah, and somebody says like, "Well, where's the bass?" like, you know. Um but the, mm -hmm. the, that whole sort of like using uh pink noise or something in a mix uh that sort of addresses more of a like, you know, is the is the vocal loud enough or is that guitar uh, you know, overbearing. So, you know, it's, it's a different kind of balance, you know, more sort of instrument gotcha. balance versus frequency content balance. Um, so I, I don't ever do that stuff uh, with, with, with noise, that is. But I do reference on uh, a few different monitors. I have, you know, aside from the, the JBLs, I have uh, NS10s and um, yeah. uh Mix cubes, uh, Vontone, you know, they're sort of like the uh, uh, Oratone type, you know, f speakers. Um, yeah. 
I always check on headphones. Uh, you know, I I I open using back or sh- close back. That, uh, open back. Question, open right. back. Yeah. Um, I have a pair of the Shure. Uh, what are they? The eighteen seventies, I believe they're. Is that the model number? Eighteen seventy. Sure, has too many model numbers for me to bother. Yeah, yeah, and I can't them. keep track of them. They're, I think they used, to, <laughs> I think they used to be called the eight seventies, and I think they're called the eighteen yeah. seventies. Um, and I do have a very cheap pair of uh, like Tascam. Uh, I uh, I think they're like TH twos, like t- Task. It's like probably stands for Tascam headphones too, um, <laughs> which are like l- literally, Sounds literally, literally cromulent. Absolutely. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they're like, I mean, they're so cheap. I think they're like twenty nine bucks, but those are closed back. And so, you know, I might once in a while, uh, again, in the mix process, only at the you know mix stage, I might throw those on for a moment just to, again, just for my information. Um, I yeah. never make critical decisions, uh, you know, w- w- with headphones. But sometimes I literally, I just, I just put the headphones down uh, to, you know, uh, on the on the desk to, to to my right, and I just, I just listen through the, I mean, far through away. those headphones, just from far away, just just to see if yep. I'm, if something is uh-huh. really standing out, and you'd be surprised at how. Uh, you know, something that you thought was not that loud in a mix suddenly like really stands out and jumps out at you. You know, sometimes yeah. these things happen. Yeah. I I agree, actually. So that reminds me of two different things. Number one, a time yeah. I was I was playing, I was doing some mixing and uh, and playing a song while doing some dishes, which is the next room behind okay. me. I'm pointing mm-hmm. and you can't see and neither can the yeah. podcast listeners. But <laughs> it's here okay. I am the, the, the viewers can yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh but like it's right there and like I notice, wow, the vocals are like the only thing I can hear right now. That's weird. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. that was a key that like clearly something was wrong with my room configuration that that I was not okay. getting a proper mix there. And I went back and, okay. and made a few adjustments and it and it turned out right. Uh, the other thing it reminded me of is the classic uh, "my mix doesn't sound good in my car" problem. Uh, you may be familiar okay. with this, right? Yeah, uh, sure. And, Everybody. And I always me. drive my car when I was when I was listening mm-hmm. to my music because I'm not going to subject my uh, other family members to listening to my own CD fifty okay, sure. times, right? Sure. So like, sure. so like uh, I'll, I'm the only one, and I'm in the driver's seat. So like, I'm in what position? Slightly to the left and right next right. to a window, right? So like. My yeah. mixes were a little lopsided uh, yeah. as a result of that sure. because I was never in the pasture seat listening. Yeah, 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 yeah. Funny yeah. little yeah. things like that can happen for sure. Yep, yep. Um, uh, a, a friend of mine uh, who, who's no longer with us, uh, famous engineer Ed Cherney, uh, mm. who, you know, Grammy-winning sort of uh, engineer, uh, had worked on several albums for Bonnie Raitt, okay? Um, okay. Uh, he... He told this story of how like they were they were doing these mixes and they were just like bouncing down cassette uh, copies for Bonnie to hear on her mm-hmm. way home, and uh, you know and she would come in the next day and say something like, "Yeah, you know that 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 guitar, you know whatever guitar maybe it was her guitar or the other rhythm, right. the, you know rhythm guitar two or whatever it was." It's like I'm I'm just you know it's it's I'm not hearing it you know and they're going like really they they'd bring up the mix you know like from the day before I mean the console still because they were just working on it the night before they'll bring it up and stuff like that and they're listening to it and and he's saying 
I don't know what she's talking about, man. That guitar is like perfectly fine, you know? And so they would, it's you like know, in my work. face if I turn it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they would just work on it, you know, a little more or whatever. And, th and this happened like consistently for a couple of these rough mixes that they did for her. And then finally, mm -hmm. one night, you know, when they were, when she was about to drive home, he, he went out with her to the parking lot in the studio and, uh, you know, popped the cassette in the car. And he's, you know, he's sitting in her seat in the driver's seat he pops it on and he realizes that her that left channel is totally dead like it, there was no <laughs> sound coming out of it whatsoever <laughs> so of course she's not hearing it and so right. and and by the way for for that album and i think this was the second album already um that she won that he won like best engineered uh, album uh, uh best engineered uh, album grammy you know they were really doing well and stuff like that and so basically for her birthday uh they bought her uh, a new car with a brand new stereo <laughs> so that she could hear her mixes <laughs> properly for the next album it's like so that. funny so, yeah 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 that's not what so, i thought i thought the story was going like he checks her stereo settings like okay well you got everything faded up to the front and, and on the right hand channel only or something like that but yeah right you uh, know sometimes story. these things happen yeah sometimes these things oh, certainly sure. happen you know uh, but I'm the you parent know, of every... two young boys so i i oh, fade okay. all my audio in my car up to the front right because oh, <laughs> okay. they complain they want to watch right. their show in the back or whatever sure <laughs> Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, everybody has their own sort of listening experience and their own listening environment. Some people love listening to music all the time. Oh, it's not that they love, but they, for whatever reason, they they consume music like in their car or let's say on earbuds, like you know, consistently. Or sure. some people on their laptop. I mean, it could be anything, and and that's one of the challenges these days. You know, for mastering engineers, is that you have to make that music. Or you tr you try your best to to make it sound good on everything, and you know it's it's never going to sound good on absolutely every system categorically, but yeah. try to cover your bases. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so we're at 120 minutes. I want to be respectful of your time. I, I thank you for staying on with me. Do you have time no for two more questions though? Because I, I like to yeah, try yeah, and close them. Uh, of course, the same same questions. I'm really interested to hear your takes uh, on these particular ones, um, because you've just got so much experience and worked with so okay. many different people. Uh, mm -hmm. And probably I had if I had to guess, though, we didn't specifically touch on this topic, a lot of different environments, you know, probably just not in your studio. Yeah. So like, sure, uh, sure. I want to know, like, maybe you could tell us a a scenario or a what was like the most challenging recording setup you had to like figure out how to do um or what oh, conversely okay. like maybe a funny story of yeah. like you you want me to do what <laughs> sort of thing oh i see uh well i'll say that the most challenging uh i would have to say the first time i recorded an orchestra uh mm. and that was not here in this studio but i was overseas in in kiev uh mm. and i had recorded some large ensembles and everything um but this situation came up where i was being recommend i was recommended to, to to a producer who needed to have this orchestra recorded in kiev and uh so i 
being being somewhat fluent in Ukrainian, mm -hmm. uh, given the background of going to that Saturday, Saturday school, school and everything. Like yeah. That. yeah, yeah. I had the qualifications to to help translate for this producer uh, who was more of a, an executive producer rather than like a music producer per se. Gotcha. But the people in in Kiev weren't that fluent in English. And so so I fit the bill in that respect. And and the second thing was um, they weren't terribly happy with the recordings they had gotten last time. So uh, oh. they were kind of, you know, looking for somebody else to kind of uh, be responsible for making sure that they got, uh, you know, the best possible recording they could get, et cetera. So I really was flying by the seat of my pants. And so I read as much as I could. I spoke with as many engineers as I could who had had experience recording orchestras. Um, and I, I, you know, everything that I knew by mm -hmm. the time I was going over there was theoretical knowledge, which mm. is great to have, but... Yeah, when 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 I got there, it's not as if I was the only like it's not as if mic placement was purely up to me. There was oh, a recording engineer there that that had recorded orchestras before. Um but in terms of what this particular client needed, they needed a recording to play back in in auditoriums in large venues for a dance group, a dance troupe that used to tour with an orchestra. And now their budget didn't allow for that. So they would tour with these recordings. And the recordings, unfortunately, had tons of reverb on them. So you take a recording oh. of an orchestra with tons of reverb and you play it back in a 6,000-seat auditorium and it's going to sound like crap. <laughs> it's mud. Right. Yeah. Precisely. And so what I was telling, and, and, and I had no experience with this, but I figured just common sense as an audio person, you'd say, oh, well, what you really need is the driest possible orchestral recording and mm -hmm. let the theater add its own ambience. Mm -hmm. And so just armed with that, uh, I you know, asked that the microphones be placed a little bit closer. We want to kind of deaden the room a little, little bit more. This was at a, a film lot in, in Kiev. Um, so uh, it was a very large uh, sound stage. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't particularly terribly live, but they did have sort of these um, gigantic, uh, think of them as sort of like, you know, carpet rolls you know like when 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 you go to go to a carpet store and they have these big yeah, yeah. rolls of carpet it's exactly what it was it was like these big things of like thick material that you could pull down like like a shade in other words by the oh. walls and it would help control the ambience of the room um so we deadened it as much as we could um and moved in a little bit and and so that was a challenge where I didn't know whether I was going to be successful. As it turned out, luckily, I made the right call, and the client was like extremely happy. They went on tour. They called me from Australia 
Oh, wow. Uh, like, I got this call from the producer. He was calling from the theater, and he said, man, this sounds so fantastic. And he said, the sound engineer said, wow, this is like the best recording I've ever heard you know, of an orchestra in, nice. in that theater. So that, that doesn't mean that that's the best recording of an orchestra he'd ever heard. But in the theater, you're typically not, if you're playing back, you know, a, an orchestral recording, it's going to mm -hmm. be an orchestral recording with ambience. So it's never going to sound great, you know, right. especially at loud volume. So anyway, um, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I would, the other thing that, that comes to mind is, is you know, uh, I, I, I was doing a recording of, uh, of a jazz group, you know, so it was live in, in, in the studio here, you know, musicians playing together at the same time, not, not an overdub situation or anything. Right. And, um, uh, I was recording a, a sax player for uh, he's been with Steely Dan for like 20 something years, whatever. He's he's playing uh, yeah. tenor sax in this thing. And uh, the drummer showed up to the session without his drums, that, like really <laughs> threw me off. And I asked him to come early so that he could set up, you know, and, and everything. And now he showed up like about a half hour before downbeat. And uh, and I said, where are your where are the drums he goes oh I, I i didn't was i supposed to bring them i was like you know yeah i told what did you yeah, think so, you were gonna set up <laughs> which you know and the thing is i i have a set of drums here but they were packed away they were not set up right. or anything like that because normally drummers like to bring their their own drums They're pretty specific uh, in, yeah and, and and you know what it, it it happens both ways too i mean sometimes they just use the drums that we have at the studio too but we agree on this in advance so that I right. know to either set up the drums or strike them, whatever. Um, and it was agreed that he would bring his drums. I told I, I told him, bring, you know, um, you know, like everything you need for the session. Anyway, so I was a little bit. You might want to bring off. some sticks, too, man. Uh, yeah, sticks yeah. are going to be. Yeah. Gay. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and so uh, and I was just really thrown off and uh, I was. You know, I got everything set up as as quickly as I could. I threw, you know, the mics were off to the side, ready to go. You know, because I was mm -hmm. figuring as soon as he set up his drums, I just bring in the mics. You know, just position them, and we're off. Uh, well, I didn't even have a lot of time to get levels on the drums, but I just kind of, I just told him, yeah, just yeah, play the whole kit. You know, and I was getting levels, and uh, and I was thinking to myself, well. You know, they, they they we we got to the point where we we're starting to record, and they did a first take. You know, there's a second take, and I'm sitting here with uh, with my uh, at that time my intern was was in on the session, mm -hmm. and she was uh, she was sitting here, and I'm I'm like going through the various tracks, you know, and saying, oh yeah, here's the here's the kick, you know, because she wanted to know if she could hear the stuff while we were recording, and I said, mm -hmm. yeah yeah sure, this is you know blah 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 blah. We get to the snare, and I'm going, wow, that snare sounds very distant. And he was playing brushes and stuff like that, but it really sounded distant. Uh -huh. And then I realize, as I'm sitting here and they're doing take three, <laughs> I'm going, holy oh, no. crap, I never moved the snare mic all the way to the snare. It was oh, like no. still, I was like, oh, shoot. So the, the guys finished take three. And I just, I just very calmly, I didn't say anything. Just as they were discussing and whatever, I just walked out there. 
went over to the floor, Tom, you know, repositioned the mic a little bit. I really didn't. I mean, I put my hand on the mic. I really didn't move it. But I was just kind of like, yeah, fake adjustment. adjustment. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Then I kind of, you know, got on my knees in front of the kick again, another (laughs) fake uh, adjustment. And then I just as stealthily as I could. Right. And as stealthily as I could, I just took that snare mic, uh, the snare mic, which was like over by the, you know, one of the symbols. And I just like moved it, not in in a perfect position because I didn't want to fiddle around with it too much. But I put it, you know, generally where it needed to be and went back into the control room, you know, didn't say anything. And, you know, they did a take four and they did a take five of this particular tune. And that's the one that they ended up using. So the snare was fine for you that, You mean they of did course. a take one and take two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that? I'm sorry? They did a, a retake one and a retake two, it sounds like to me. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, yes, I mean, I, as far as I was concerned, yeah. you know, but, but to them yeah. it was, you know, take five was the one and didn't matter to them, you know, but Seamless. to me, I was just yeah. like, oh, thank goodness they didn't go with it. Now, the thing is, I had a, a good sound on the overheads and, and we could have easily used take one if need Absolutely. be. But just, you know, the feeling inside is like, oh, I hope they don't, you know, choose that one. And then, you know, there, there are obvious reasons why they did a take three and a take four and a take five because they're, you know, they're tweaking the song, the, the arrangement as they're going along, whatever. And yeah, so jazz musicians yeah. more exactly more often than not, they're going to take the last take. But there are certainly uh, there are certainly instances where the band will say, yeah, no, the first one felt the best or they'll mm-hmm. only do one take of a particular song. I mean. Thank goodness that didn't happen on this occasion, <laughs> you know, but that's a great story, though. Uh, last week I was interviewing uh, Craig Anderton and uh, yeah, and yeah, I, the tr- mm-hmm. I have a dryer. My, my utility closets in the back of the of my current mm-hmm. room and I had, I had the clothes dryer running without realizing okay. it for half of the mm-hmm. freaking interview, man. It was. Oh, dear. When I realized it, I was like, oh. <gasps> Uh, Craig, give me a second. And I go, I, you know, I open the door on the dryer to make it stop running. I come back and rejoin the interview. And luckily for this, another advertisement for Isotopes RX that came to the rescue, it was able to save that recording. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, I've noticed the nice thing that, about an know, interview is it includes a lot of room noise as long as you don't actually mute yourself in between the questions. Right, right. No doubt you're, you're going to have that in the recording. Yeah. I mean, uh, speaking of which, like I, I see my laptop has been on occasion, you know, because I'm not using like a webcam or anything like that. I just right, simply right. have the laptop here on the stand and stuff. Um, you know, I could certainly, you know, hear the fan kicking in. So my audio might have a little bit of that in the background. So sorry. <laughs> ah, yeah, I'll clean it up. I'll clean it up. Don't worry about it. Um, that was uh, – <laughs> You covered both of the two final questions, really, with with those answers. So thank you. Um, okay. Is, uh, do Do you want to promote like uh, Do you have a website for B Sharp Studios that you want to promote, or a Twitter account, anything like that? I I am on Twitter, uh, Slough B Sharp. So S L A U B E S H A R P. Uh, I think that's okay. my handle. Yeah, th- yeah, it is Slough B Sharp. Sounds um, familiar to me. Yeah. Uh, I you know I I. Do still have the old um, 
uh, you know, podcast website, which I've been threatening for years now to relaunch the podcast. And I, and I think I will. I, I, I wasn't I think sure I will. if it was a sensitive it, subject, Slav. I didn't bring it up. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, so many people have reached out so often over the years, like, oh, man, when are you going to do it again? And, and, and and it's not for lack of wanting to do I, you know i want to but it is time consuming um mainly because of the way i chose to do a lot of those episodes the, you know the episodes tended to include a lot of you know location audio or excerpts from a session or something like that and just putting that stuff together took so much time and for you know mind you you know for a podcast that i wasn't monetizing in any way it was a lot of work. Right. Um, even if it was just even an uh, an interview, like I did a couple of interviews, you know, even that, you know, you end up, you know, taking out the ums and the and all that kind of stuff. And before you know it, you get obsessive about that. Now you're spending, you know, two hours, three hours editing. You know, it's just it. it and that's why yeah. I just I I couldn't I couldn't sustain it. Um, but if I if I you know do it again, it'll. I'll I'll probably change the format a little bit, um, but so I, I you know that's sessionswithslough.com. So there are I don't know what uh, twenty episodes, twenty something episodes, you know, which are which are older, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, that's still there, but I will be uh, launching a, a new site which will be slough.com, uh, which I've had that domain okay, cool. for for years, but I. You know, that's sort of more focused on me and not the studio, per, per se. Um, and so yeah. since I didn't have anything to promote, I didn't develop anything uh, uh, for that domain. But now that I got the new album coming out, um, I will have a, a new site. And that'll probably, uh, you know, include links to the podcast, which maybe I'll do a, uh, you know, a podcast episode about the recording and the production of that of the album and stuff like that certainly would make sense to do so uh and uh yeah yeah and then i should probably do one for the for the studio itself but it's like yeah more more work <laughs> and yeah, you know I like you, i said uh, the, the word of mouth is the best advertising i don't i don't i don't need to uh you know i i, I don't feel the need to advertise anything for the studio because i have a good amount of work that's consistent and I have clients that I work with consistently and it's, it's good. I don't, I don't want to sort of, uh, you know, uh, fill up my schedule too much, you know? Uh, so I'm, yeah, I don't, that's the yeah. reason why I hes hesitate about the studio thing, but I do get questions so often about just, Oh, you know, just general inquiries that I should probably point them, uh, at, at, at a studio site, which I probably, will do at some point hmm. yeah i mean i do really like that show it's been a while since i think the last episode was back in like 2015 oh, years or something like ago. that so yeah oh yeah yeah, so yeah. it's, it's been, been a years. while but I, I like how you had music playing throughout most of it you know like it, it was a pretty well produced show um thanks and one thing i'll throw out there is that mm -hmm. a lot of those uh those things that you didn't like about editing a podcast like removing mm -hmm. the ums and us uh yeah you can like that you can replace all those automatically with things like Descript right now, which also transposes it into like a, a written transcript for hearing impaired people. Uh, right, uh, right. Which is something that I'll be mm -hmm. doing with our interview, by the way. Uh, so like ah, I'll, I'll cool. be posting this as text so that anyone who can't hear can can at least uh, but, enjoy the interview for themselves. 
but can it distinguish between uh, ums and like ah? Uh, Yes, it can. It does, it does <laughs> the, a remarkably oh, good job. Nice. It's very nice. Uh, and related to deep fakes, it, I, I've trained it so that if I have completely said the wrong word at some point in this uh, podcast, I can go in, just delete the text of the transcript, type a, a new word, and it will sound just like I said the right word. No. Really? Yes. Wow. Really convincingly. That's it's, crazy. It's a little concerning if you think about it. Like, uh, sure. I'm not sure how I feel. Yeah, uh, but it, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, a lot of that stuff did did get a lot easier uh, over the last yeah. few years. Um, yeah, and I would yeah. love to hear another show from you, and I can't wait to hear your album. Oh, thanks, thanks. Uh, thanks. Definitely send uh, send me a link when it yes, uh, drops. Yes, of course. I'll uh, of course. I'll push it out on all my social medias to try and boost it, but I'd I'll love to just it. listen to it myself. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. I'll I'll definitely give you a heads up and then send you a copy for sure. Well. Thank you so much for the time. Well, thanks so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure to, to speak with you and stuff and, and share whatever, uh, you know, whatever I had to say. And yeah, have a great night, man. Have a great weekend. Thank you again for listening to Democratizing Music. You can find more information at www.dsmagic.us. There you'll find a contact form if you'd like to be a guest on this show, or other ways to find out some of my other interesting projects. Feel free to reach out on any of the social medias. I'm available on Twitter, Facebook, and basically anywhere else. <laughs>